Charles knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 262. Jason Lingren is with me, and we have Deborah Carroll, which is uh, this going to be an interesting episode. Uh, I don't know if you folks have heard of iridology, also maybe called iridology, which is the idea um, that the eyes are more than just windows to the soul, that you can actually get a good overview of what's going on with the entire human body by observing what's going on with the iris. And that's what we're going to get into today. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How are you doing, Jason? Everything good down there? Wonderful. How about you? I've been busy, as you know. Um, actually slammed. I'm struggling to keep up at this point. But why don't we just jump right in? Let's do it. All right. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. So you and I met by a fluke, I guess I would say. Uh, I forget exactly what we were doing, but there was a correspondence via email, and I learned that you... By the way, how do you say it? Is it iridology or iridology? I believe either way is fine. I guess maybe if we say iris, maybe we would say iridology. Um, Those two things are clear. Yeah, that's what I usually say. All right. So um, before we jump in, why don't you give your contact information that you'd like to put out? Um, If you do, use email. You'll get swamped, but I understand you have a website. Yeah, I just created a little website, and I have the basics there. It's uh, wisdomintheeyes.com. Okay, wisdomintheeyes.com. That's going to be the extent, and also I assume you'll show up in comments when this goes live. Okay, great. Yeah, for sure. Okay, perfect. Well, let's jump in. How did you uh, how did you get started in this? This seems like it used to be a very important, I guess I'll call it an art, and it's really fallen by the wayside. Uh, although if you do searches in Google Images, you can get the uh, iridology charts, but you don't meet too many people practicing. So how did you get into this? Well, I had a girlfriend that bought me a birthday gift of an iridology reading. She was studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and I had been sick with pneumonia for about a month. I guess they called it walking pneumonia. So I just went and had the iridology reading, and I was also having some female problems where I was spotting in the middle of the month. And the iridologist told me, well, you're needing more organic iodine. You need to take a seaweed supplement for your thyroid. Within two weeks of taking that supplement, the liquid dulse, dulse is a red marine algae. It's a a red sea lettuce from Nova Scotia, Canada, and it tastes quite good. So I was taking it three times a day, and within two weeks, I didn't have any more trouble. And uh, so I was impressed by that. And he also showed me a book on cleansing. That was something that he had recommended, um, written by Dr. Bernard Jensen. It's called Tissue Cleansing Through Bowel Management. And I was interested. And then I thought, you know, this is really quite fascinating. I would like to learn more about this. So then I contacted Dr. Jensen in California to see if I could go and study with him. Okay, so let's actually just jump in here. Um, I I looked up, the, I've done it before. I looked up the iridology charts, which I urge everyone listening, go online and look them up. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's, it reminds you a bit of the Zodiac. Um, it's almost like the entire iris is degreed out, but it shows all the parts of the body. Um, and by the way, I know what you're saying uh, about taking the iodine is no joke. I take care of a, a member of my family is almost 90 who was beginning to not think so well and forget everything. 
And I pretty much reversed that uh, with Clive DeCarl's uh, iodine. So the, these things that, that have been lost in time are really working. But let's, let's do an overview, maybe. That's a good place to start. What are the parts of the eye and what part does iridology center in on? Well, I would say probably it would be the intestines the whole digestive system, yet every system and organ in the body shows in the iris. It's like a computer printout screen of everything that's happening in your body. One thing I love about it is that it's non-invasive. You can look in someone's eyes if they're complaining about something and literally see, oh, wow, look at that area is a, a weak area. There's like a connective tissue weakness. Kind of like, you know, if you think of fabric, fabric can have a nice smooth density like silk or denim, or it could be like lace or crochet, right? So when you see the connective tissue in the iris patterns, and then you see it's very dark, that's a sign that their body has a lot of undigested toxicity from undigested food that's just stayed in their system or in their tissues. So you can get right to the core spot that's upsetting them without having to do all kinds of scans or x-rays or whatever. Anyway, when the embryo, the fetus is growing, the very first thing that starts to form is the gut, the stomach and the intestines. And then all the organs and all the limbs come off of the intestines neurologically. And there is a something called a tonus system, the autonomic nervous system. And that includes our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And you can see charts from chiropractors that shows the spine and all the vertebrae and all the nerves going through all the vertebrae. Well, all those nerve connections go into all the different sections of the colon. That's the autonomic nervous system. It's right in the central bowel and it connects into the optic nerve of the eye. So it's like the eye is the final place where all this information from the nervous system goes. All the organs are connected, et cetera. And then when you look at the iris of the eye, you're going to see what's called an autonomic nerve wreath. So just think like a wreath you hang on your door at Christmas time, right? It's just that circular shape. And you'll see different shapes of the autonomic nerve wreath in the iris of the eye. So everyone is going to have a different pattern and maybe the nerve wreath is going to be bigger or smaller. So anyway, um, if you think of like a, a full circle skirt, if you lay that skirt out on the floor, there's gathering at the waist, right? So you can open the gathering at the waistline of that skirt and it's going to change how the little folds ripple out, right, from the center of the waistline. And the iris is the same way. So when the pupil is expanding and then contracting, you're going to see a different pattern. Well, there's different markings. So you'll either see like spokes on a wheel. Those are called radial furrows. Or you'll see something called a flower pattern. And these areas that are like little flower petals, those are called lacunae, which is a German word for lake. And they have different patterns, like some are in a clover leaf pattern, some have a pattern that looks kind of like a little ladder or a railroad track, some are diamond shape. And depending on where those little lacunae are positioned, 
it will indicate which organs have a genetic weakness, that the person was born with some issues with that particular organ. So when you look at the iris chart, you're seeing all these different systems. The skin is on the periphery, and then you have the lymphatic system. And there's different colors and patterns that indicate different problems in the body and different colors. So, for example, in a blue eye, you can really see if someone has like a lot of raised fibers where the fibers are kind of irritated and they become very white. This is called the acute stage where it's the body's first stage of weakening and it's all this like hyperactivity going on in the body. So the person could have a fever, they could have a rash, they could have the runs, they could be sick to their stomach, or they could be in a lot of pain. So something acute is indicated when the fibers are really raised and irritated. And then after that, once the acute stage continues into more degenerative or chronic, the colors change to light gray, dark gray, and black. And I've seen people with black markings in the iris that you can tell they have a degenerative problem and they might need some surgeries, but I've known them to live like 25 years beyond. So it's not necessarily that you could say, oh, you have this degenerative problem that you're not going to live long or anything. It's just preventative medicine to let people know, hey, you can reverse this. And it has been seen that when people do certain types of cleansing and they get a lot of the old undigested mucus out of the body, that now that black is turned back to white or a light gray. You know, it reverses by eliminating all that undigested stuff. So I'll jump in if people are thinking to themselves, is this real? Um, yeah, by chance, <laughs> I, well, you know, when we cover these things, people are wondering, um, uh -huh. and, and this is real. And by chance, I had read the story that you told me about a man who was trying to rescue a bird. I think the type of bird was an owl, but let's just tell that. Let's retell that. I forget where I, I read it and I read it a really long time ago, but the moment you began to tell me, I realized that I'd already read about this. Um, and it demonstrates just how critically connected the so-called iris is to what's going on in the body. Yes, absolutely. So there was a Hungarian man and his name is Ignaz von Peschli. And he was a, a pretty young boy and he was trying to help an owl that was in need. It had like a twisted wing and he was holding the legs of the owl. And as he was trying to help the owl, one of the legs broke but he was staring the owl right in the face and he saw a black line appear in the iris of the owl right at that moment. And he later became a doctor and he studied the iris patterns before and after surgery. And that's how some of the iridology charts were developed. And then there were other doctors also. You can search for um, iridology and history and there's a whole list of doctors in the 1900s who did surgeries where they looked at the iris before and after. They also um, worked on bodies doing autopsies. And they just tracked everything that they saw in the iris compared to the areas that they were working on. Now, in modern times, there's the International Iridology Research Association. 
And they have years of study also doing the same thing, studying the iris before and after surgery, mostly in Italy and Germany. All right. Before I get Jason in here, I'm going to lay down a couple terms that we'll probably end up talking about. The white part of the eye is called the sclera, S-C-L-E-R-A. That's the white part of the eye. You can see red veins. Um, Mm -hmm. According to the notes that I'm looking at here, different stresses can be indicated to different parts of the body. Most people understand that the pupil is the dark part of the eye. In the notes Deborah provided me here, it says the pupil of the eye can change shape due to health troubles in the body and relates to the tonus system, which she just mentioned, and the main nervous system in the body uh, referred to as the autonomic nervous system. And of course, the iris is the colored part. And I've got some questions because I'd like to know like eye color, what that has to do, but let's, let's get Jason in here. You got any, you got any where you want to go here, Jason? Well, I'm assuming that there's nobody that this wouldn't work on, right? Because of the fact that this is an indication of everything from your development on forward that to some degree, everyone should have indicators in their eyes of some sort, right? Yes. And I've looked in the eyes of babies also, and you can see they're born with certain markings. The sclera, the white of the eye, where you see the red veins, that's indicating the body is flowing a lot more blood to that particular area. Like that area needs extra nutrients to function better. And the whole eyeball is made out of nerves. Like when you, especially it's easy if you look at a blue eye, you see the little tiny fibers. Those are called trabeculi. Those are all little nerves, you know. I wanted to ask, um, so does eye color inform an iridologist of anything? Is, is there anything unique? Say, you know, there's so many eye colors. As a matter of fact, a day ago, I looked up again uh, how many eye colors there are. It's kind of astonishing because you don't realize really how many eye colors there are. And there are some really rare ones. What was it? Uh, violet, uh, gold, I think was one of them. But does eye color, the, the physical color of the iris play into this at all? Yes, it definitely does. And there's different reasons for the different eye colors. The basic blue eyes, that body type cleanses mostly through sweating, through the lymphatic fluid, you know, perspiring, right? So the blue-eyed person uses up a lot more of the element of organic sodium. And uh, that's a very key factor for blue-eyed people. They often are people who would get arthritis because they're lacking in organic sodium, which lubricates the joints, and it's 80% of the lymphatic fluid. Now, everyone needs organic sodium for sweating, you know, and nourishing the whole digestive system, et cetera, but the blue eyes in particular. So blue-eyed people really need to exercise like an hour a day because that's how their body cleanses predominantly is through the sweating. They should wear cotton, that kind of thing. Now, the mixed colored eye is called biliary. That's a mixture of blue and brown. That's where you see different colors. And for example, a light yellow color in a blue eye will make that part of the iris look a little green, right? Like yellow and blue make green. And that's usually a sign of the kidneys are overworking. There's orange, which has to do with the pancreas. Brown is more connected to the liver. So There's also like heavy metals and drug deposits that can change the color of the iris. So anyway, the mixed color iris, which you might call hazel or the golden color, okay, that is the body type that cleanses more through the liver. So the liver, the gallbladder, 
and basically using the bile that comes out of the the bile ducts to detoxify. And then the brown eye, this is called being a hematogenic. That's a true brown iris is where the melanin pigment has filled in the fibers. So a lot of the brown irises, let's say African, Asian, some of the Latino people, you're just going to see just a smooth brown. You won't see so much of the little fibers, you know. Anyway, that iris type cleanses through the blood. So the brown iris does really well with um, taking certain herbs that are specifically known for cleansing the blood. And they actually do good with more raw flesh food also, like carpaccio or steak tartare or sashimi and that kind of thing, you know, or ceviche. Wow. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Now, did you mentioned hazel, but what about green? And the reason I brought this up is like I read this, I don't even know, it was a really old manuscript I had that said in some previous age, eye color kind of dictated what part of the society you held. The idea in that, whether it's true or not, is that blue-eyed people were in charge, rulers or that huh. level of society, that green-eyed people were uh, at, at, uh, attached to growing things, um, which made sense, I guess, because their eyes are green, so the plants are green. Um, and brown eyes, I don't recall, but I think it was the work, the worker class, but I, I don't know how much validity is, but we didn't touch on green just now. What about people with green eyes? Well, so a green iris would be a blue eye that is cleansing predominantly through the kidney, like the kidney just might be overworking. See, there's certain types of patterns or constitutions as well. So there is like a kidney heart type iris. So yeah, it's definitely, um, it's a, it's still like a lymphatic type, like a blue eyed type, but it's got emphasis on the kidney tends to overwork for whatever reason. Maybe they're drinking conventional coffee full of pesticides or something and their kidneys are always you know on high alert but it's yeah the yellow with the blue makes a green iris well uh, apparently um from what i just looked up there's what they call a purple eye um matter of fact i think uh what's that actress's name that sounds fascinating yeah Um, i'm not familiar with it so it would still be like classed in iridology the violet or the the lavender colored iris would still be considered a lymphatic blue. And, you know, one of the original doctors who made iridology famous, he found that his eye color changed because of a drug he was taking. He was taking quinine and his name was Nils Lilliquist, a Swedish doctor. And for some reason he was given this quinine and it, he noticed the change in his iris color. And I'll tell you, I was taking colloidal silver at one time and it changed my iris color to a more gray color. And then I ended up doing this major lymphatic cleansing. And then my eyes went back more to my golden brown. We did shows on the idea of RH positive blood versus RH negative. And one of the traits of negative blood types is that in the course of a day, someone with certain RH negatives, their eye can actually change color. And I guess a lot of it is people who are, who tend towards blue. Um, but if they get really upset their the, the color can just drain from their eye. And I've actually seen this is why I'm bringing it up. Okay. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all that people have recorded the drugs and, and actually in your notes here, it says when you cleanse, you ever notice someone who's done a real cleanse and they just look better 
um, this has to be part of it because it's claiming here the cleanse will change the iris color of your eyes. But what do you think about the uh, the RH negative eye types that apparently if, if they get upset or other things that in real time you can see their eyes change color? Well, I am a O negative, RH negative blood type. I haven't done like a whole lot of study about about how it connects with iridology. But I have to tell you that, you know, going back to this idea that the eyes are the window to the soul, when you look at someone, you know, and you're really in the moment paying attention, you can see what they're feeling almost, you know, and our feelings do affect us. And like, if you had like a major upset, you know, just were feeling so betrayed or hurt or something was so shocking, it can force your body into a major detox, just the stress of that. And, um, you know, I do um, have a friend who ran a bar and one of his best friends was like the, the bouncer at the door and he went outside to deal with some people and ended up getting shot and he witnessed it. And just from witnessing that terrible event, he had this big, huge, massive red blood thing right in the bottom of his sclera, you know, like oh, wow. the whole bottom of his sclera just went red. You were asking about the blood type. There's so much interesting stuff about the blood. Um, you know, when I studied with Dr. Gabriel Cousins, he taught about how chlorophyll is very similar in the makeup of it. I can't remember now if it was DNA or what, but there's a real strong connection to the blood of plants and human beings. Like there's just like one little missing link there. And then I studied with Ogenus von der Planets. He was famous for the primal diet or a raw food diet where it was mostly raw dairy and raw meats for healing cancer. And he talked about how the blood type in a person can change depending on what they're eating. Or how the body's detoxifying. But, you know, I don't know. I don't have any proof I, on any of this. You know? Well, you want to know something? When I was doing the RH research, I ended up getting this little pamphlet from like the 30s or something where someone was complaining um, that the way blood is described is nonsensical and it's purposefully built to be so that people don't grasp it. But in that pamphlet, it, it claimed that from transfusions and other things that they have measured people's blood type changing. And not only that, I think it was transplants. Something about transplants could have a similar effect. But I want to pull it back around because they didn't ask about one more eye type um, that I'm aware of because I'm that eye type. What about someone with eyes that are different colors? So what do you mean? You mean like one eye is brown and one eye is blue, so that kind of thing? That does well, happen. Well, with me, one is green and, and one is brown. Like when people went to go sh watch Shoot the Moon... And Jason had a high-def camera in my face for two hours. I started getting all these emails um, because they noticed. It's, what's interesting about my eyes is like when you're indoors, you don't notice. But as soon as I go out in the sunlight, it's very prominent. So is there, is there anything to that, having eyes well, that are two different colors? Well, so is it your right eye that's brown? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I'd have to ask. One of my eyes is green. Now, didn't David Bowie... My, David my wife, Bowie, sorry, my, I'm interrupting. Well, my my the left one is green. Yes. Well, the left one is green, according to my wife. <laughs> yeah. So so the uh, <laughs> the like I was saying, the brown color can relate to the liver, which is predominantly indicated in the right iris. There is an aspect of the left iris that connects to the liver. Also, it depends on what chart you have. There's 
just many different charts. David Bowie, I think, had two different colored eyes. If from, I from an injury, is that's claimed from a fight, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. he, he got punched in the eye, apparently. That's the claim. Although I've you know, never seen another human being get punched in the <laughs> eye and have their iris drain of color. So who, who actually knows? Yeah, well, I guess um, I would say, you know, from all the iris photos that I've seen, like Dr. Bernard Jensen has so many um, books with just many, many photos. Everyone is very unique. It really is this idea. It's like a snowflake. You know, there's not one alike, right? I mean, I think they use uh, iris scanning as a way to identify people too, right? Um, so, there, yeah, there's different colors, different patterns. It, it's like we're all very unique. And, you know, that leads me to um, rayed iridology, which analyzes um, personality and emotional spiritual issues. It's kind of like, if there's a certain part of your iris that really stands out like a core issue, you can look it up on the rayed chart and it would indicate a certain thing that maybe in this lifetime, what's going to be important to you is learning about independence or compassion or whatever. That's quite fascinating also. I noticed in some of the charts, even sex drive is assigned to certain. And by the way, I noticed there were different styles of charts covering exactly what you're saying. Some were more to physical traits. And I did see some that got into the spiritual ideas. Um, but libido is actually a part of the iridology charts, iridology charts that I just looked at. So how common is this used these days? I know so much with mainstream medicine, they like to poo-poo, anything that isn't exactly the way they want things done. But how many folks actually really practice this and can put it into a functional day-to-day -day thing to help people? Yeah, I think it's just not mainstream. And you know, I remember one time I just searched for the word iridology and the first thing came up was one of those websites about quackery or fake medicine or whatever. Um, and then another time I did a search, I just put in my first name, Deborah, and then I put in the word iridology and I found 12 different women named Deborah that are iridologists. So <laughs> I think it's mostly taught in like naturopathic schools, really. Uh, so someone who studies naturopathic medicine or sometimes chiropractors, I could guess maybe someone who practices Chinese medicine also, but I went to a naturopathic school when I learned it after I had met Dr. Jensen and studied with him at his ranch. So yeah, I I've given little classes on it. I guess it's just one of those things that is, what do they call that? Grassroots education. It's not. I, I have a feeling that this used to be way more in use than it currently is. And by the way, people are always asking about books. Um, Deborah's mentioned Dr. Bernard Jensen. He's got a book. Oh, actually, maybe it looks like there's two books in the notes here on iridology that have 50 different colored iridology charts. So people who are interested in that could look up iridology and Dr. Bernard Jensen, if you want to know more about this. But I was going to pull it back around as I was going through the notes here. Someone had the unenviable job, which you kind of touched on. Apparently, they were taking people who had died and looking at their eyes and then understanding what had, why they died. And they began to work out things that way too, right? Absolutely. So there's actually one iris photo that is in part of Dr. Jensen's package of iris photos. And it's actually a photograph of a man who died from having a tumor in his armpit. And you can just clearly see that tumor exactly in the area of the armpit in his iris. 
and, and you can see all the red veins. There's so many red veins. Like you can just tell the person's body just became so toxic. You know, I just recently was looking at the history of iridology just to prepare for your, your show and found a whole lot more information. But yeah, you know, Dr. Bernard Jensen, his iridology two book, it's a big blue textbook, right? It is just full of such a lot of information. Unbelievable. Um, just very detailed about all the brain centers and some fascinating stories of people that he helped back from the brink of death, like where the doctor said, hey, go home. Your kidneys are going to shut down. We can't help you. And Dr. Jensen got the guy fasting on a potato peeling broth, which, by the way, is very high in organic sodium and potassium. And it just slowly, he was neutralizing acids, dissolving toxins. And like normally, Dr. Jensen would put someone on the seven-day cleanse where you're taking the clay and using the Kalema board. But this guy's kidneys were in such bad shape, he thought, I don't want to risk it, right? Like if he dumps too much toxins too quickly or something. So he said, just drink potato peeling broth for a month. The guy came back in 30 days and he still was alive, but I mean, he didn't have much of a change. And so Dr. Jensen said, okay, just keep doing it because we're waiting for a healing crisis. We want an elimination because that's what we need. We need our body to be eliminating properly. So he went back for like three more days. He kept on the broth. And then in one day, he had like 90 bowel movements. Or no, it was like 30 bowel movements three days in a row. I don't know why it ended up being that number, but that's what they said. So, you know, 30 bowel move movements a day on day 34 and then 35 and 36. And he just, I think he lost so many pounds out of his gut, you know. People so, have no idea. You know, all the guests we've had on recently, like Dr. Andy Kaufman, Clive DeCarl, People have no idea uh, in the in our allopathic age how closely uh, your ability to have bowel movements uh, is is tied to how toxic you are. And in your notes here, it says there are four main channels of elimination. What are those? Well, sweating through the skin. The skin is our largest eliminative organ. And of course, we're using the lymphatic fluid, right? And we've got like 45 pints of lymph in the body, actually. And then through the kidneys, right, through urinating, gases from the lungs, and eliminating feces from the bowel. Those are the that, four that, areas. That, yeah. That's a bit telling right now when everyone's covering up their breath right now. That's one of the four main channels of elimination. Crazy, crazy to yeah. think about. And, and, and people are getting rashes on their face because the toxins are just staying on their face, right? Well, I actually heard- I heard from the dentist that a lot of people were getting cavities like on the face of their front teeth. You know how typically you get a oh. cavity like like on the surface that you chew with. Um, oh. Apparently, they're seeing a lot of surface frontal teeth cavities from all this. It goes to show you, you know, in an alchemical idea, that's your spirit. In a religious idea, that's the breath of God that's yes, being absolutely. that's being veiled there. So you know, so many yeah. people are. At, are claiming that, that that this is a spiritual put up. Um, I'm not arguing with them. Yeah, I have a lot to say about the breath as the etheric body. The uh, you know, it's an aspect of our aura, our spirit, our consciousness. Yeah. Um, you could was, call you could call it the Holy Spirit. I was and, just reading uh, about this. I've been studying this. Um, I'm with you all day long. I, I think it's it's undeniable what the breath represents and so from an alchemical point of view that is your spirit so to speak when viewed in that way absolutely and you know you 
we've been touching on a few different things that's making me think that, you know, I had a friend, he was in his 70s, he ran a health food store, and he got pneumonia really bad. We're just constantly coughing up mucus and stuff. And he had all the health food books there. He was really into, you know, exercising, taking supplements. But here he got this pneumonia. And I told him about the cleanse. And he's like, no way is anyone putting anything up my butt. You know, he just was that kind of guy. But after being so sick, he said, okay, show me how to do the cleanse, right? Within two days of getting all that old mucus out of his bowel, his lungs were fine. See, the body was trying to eliminate the mucus through the lungs, but the lungs aren't supposed to eliminate solids. It's just that the tissues were just so loaded, you know, and so he needed to clean house. Do you think that's more common than a lot of people realize? Yeah, and it comes down to digestion. So one of the things when you look at the iris, if someone has a lot of trouble with the pancreas, for example, like a lot of weakness is showing, you know, they're not going to produce as many enzymes as someone with a stronger constitution that doesn't have those, those genetic weaknesses in that organ. So if we're eating cooked food, we have to produce the enzymes to digest it, right? It's harder to digest cooked food, right? So the worst thing that people do is they eat protein and starch at the same meal. That's the main issue in proper food combining. And you need alkaline digestive juices for potato and squash and cornmeal and rice. Those are all starches, tapioca. Those are really all the main starches. And everything else is protein, right? Like meat or eggs or dairy. All the other grains like wheat and barley, rye, buckwheat, those are actually proteins. They digest as a protein. So they need acids and they need the protease and the pepsin and you know all these um, protein enzymes. The best interview I ever saw on food combining on YouTube is with Dr. Wayne Pickering. He was interviewed by Dr. Mercola, and he just explains it very easily. And his story is really interesting because, you know, really he was suffering from indigestion and it was just because he didn't know about food combining. So I teach that a lot. And I notice if I go off and I just, okay, I'm going to let myself cheat and I'll just eat something like I might have like rice noodles with shrimp or something. Yeah. You can feel a heavier feeling, you know, your body isn't going to be fully digesting, then the starch can ferment, the protein can putrefy. Then what happens is the immune system says, oh, we don't want this toxic stuff going into the bloodstream. We don't want to absorb that. So it brings all the mucus in to kind of coat over, you know, all that undigested food. And it builds up in the intestines, in the tissues. Sometimes people get really big distended bellies, right? So if you do a cleanse, you can get a lot of your belly down. It, you can't just exercise some of the stuff away. You know what I mean? When you say cleanse, I mean, are we talking like a fruit cleanse? There's so many ways. And by the way, I'll mention, uh, as you were talking about the board and the potatoes, many of the things you're mentioning jive one-to-one -one with the Gerson method, which I don't yeah. know what anyone says. I know it's real. Not only is it real, it's amazing. And it goes back to the old idea. Um, and actually, I see it in your notes here, too. Um, here's a slogan from Dr. Bernard. We don't catch diseases. We create them by breaking down the natural defenses according to the way that we wait for it, eat, drink, think, and live. And so many times I've also pointed out the old axiom from China. Uh, if your doctor hasn't prescribed food, then you haven't seen a doctor and all these things. <laughs> yeah. 
all these things back up the very same idea that, that you're saying there. Yeah. So yeah, food combining is definitely something to look into. We should probably talk about that a little more because I can hear folks going, so what should I eat and how should I eat it? <laughs> we're we're going to start the meat fight again. Um, that's you know, the, um, so I'll, many... I'll, I'll tell you what, I just started my, um, you know, my website um, just a couple of days ago. Um, and I'm just going to put my food combining information on my blog. I'll do it after the interview's over. Okay. Yeah, I created a little acronym. I just made it up myself. I was wanting to find a way to get people to remember things easily. So my my acronym is CROPS. C-R-O-P-S. C is for corn. Not like corn on the cob, but cornmeal. You know, like corn chips, corn tortillas. You know, so you got corn for the C. R is rice. Now, O is the only vowel in the acronym. That stands for tapioca. <laughs> and then P is potato and S is squash. So corn, rice, tapioca, potato, and squash. That's just what I made up, wanting to help people remember. You know, those are all the starches. So if you're really craving butternut squash or potatoes, just have the potatoes with some veggies. But if you have a baked potato, you can't put sour cream on it. You can't put cheese or bacon bits on it. You know what I mean? Like so you're so saying no, no animal products with starches would be the idea. Right, exactly. Yeah, because it's completely different um, digestive juices. Now, when you, when you research um, food combining, you're going to find, you know, there's um, sweet fruit and there's um, what they call subacid fruit and acid fruit. Okay, so like strawberries and pineapple are considered acid, so is citrus. You know, compared to uh, banana and fig would be a sweet, right? Uh, fruit. So there's different combinations for that. And when we eat watermelon or um, cantaloupe, the melons should only be eaten first thing in the morning on an empty stomach because they actually digest in the small intestines. They just go right through the stomach. So mm -hmm. a lot of people have fruit salad and they're eating the melon, but it's maybe not digesting as easily or as properly, you know, so, so you can really get into it. Do you consider like, I mean, rice is one of the biggest staples in the world. That's a starch, isn't it? Right. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, what? I've thought of this often. Like I think of Mexican food, for example, right? They've got beans and rice with the chicken and cheese all wrapped up in a tortilla or whatever. Right. Yep. So I've heard people tell a story about they've gone to Mexico and the Mexican people laugh about having tapeworms. Like that's their buddy. That's their good friend. Oh, my lombrisa, you know, that's what they call it. So if you have a lot of undigested stuff in your gut, you're going to get parasites. So one of my teachers, Ogenis, he taught, hey, look at the parasites will eat up a lot of toxins in your body. They're your friends. But if you clean up your body, the parasites leave. There's nothing for them to do. So anyway, you think of all the amazing flavors and all the different foods. I mean, even Scottish people have the, what's that pie with the mashed potatoes and the hamburger, you know? Shepherd's pie. Sure. Yeah, I was, I was, the only one Shep I remember is haggis. <laughs> oh, haggis. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a bridge too far for me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like, it really is the environment of the body. Beauchamp, who was a colleague of Louis Pasteur, who really came out with the germ theory, right? He started pasteurization of milk when there was tuberculosis. 
the tuberculosis um, bacteria was proliferating in the cows because the cows were being fed grain that had been sprayed with DDT. So if the body has to deal with poisons and chemicals, it wants to get rid of them, even drugs. The body says, hey, I can't use this. There's no nutrition here. It wants to eliminate. But Beauchamp would argue with Pasteur about what he was teaching because he was saying it's really the environment we got to deal with. So if you clean your house, then you're not going to have maggots and worms and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like if your house is clean, you're not going to have the bugs. Basically it. Well, well, I was just considering too, if you mentioned drugs, I mean, everyone's aware people that lived in in the eras that I did, like people that did a lot of cocaine, their iris, it always used to, you know, I never really thought about it till later, but you know, you're, if you're in very bright light, your iris will pinpoint down, you know, it's what's going on with a camera when you're regulating how much light comes in. But for some reason, when people do cocaine or speed or other things, their iris doesn't care about regulating light anymore. It just opens all the way up. And I thought that, you know, as I thought about it later, it's strange. They could be out at midday noon and their iris is still jacked all the way open which is more evidence that kind of shows you here they're doing a drug and you can detect it in their eye. And not only that, think of even smoking pot um, makes your eyes red. So, you know, just to make a, a point here, there's so many things that we know are demonstrated in the eyes from things that we've ingested. Um, how could it not be uh, that you could use the iris to, to discover maladies? And by the way, this kills me too. Like I had to go to get my prescription upgraded and the tools they have in the optometrist, it's mind boggling. The kind of killer high def photos they get of your iris. How is it that all those people aren't totally checking out iridology with the tools they have? They can they, get fantastic yeah. images of the eye. And by the way, I'm trying to get you images of my eye. It's not so easy to take a picture of your eye in high def, just to let you know. I know. I know you really need a macro lens. You can get the little clip ons and you have to have someone photograph your eye for you, it's pretty hard to do your own eye. I I don't think I could do it because I was just doing it with my wife and I still haven't got uh, results that are good enough. It's like all things I'll work out. But what do you think about that? When you go into an optometrist, some of the images of your iris, they're they're spectacular. It looks like you're looking at some supposed nebula in space or something. How is it that every one of those people isn't out about iridology? Because they got to notice, like when you were telling me if, if people have a lot of toxins, you can see those dark lines on the fibers. Well, immediately when I went to look at irises, I saw that immediately. How is it that they're not, you know, you know I, I, I don't know what, what would cause someone to just kind of gloss over and just say, oh, well, we're just doing our program here and none of this other stuff matters. Um, but I have heard of some ophthalmologists noticing like there's something called a sodium ring where you see this white ring around the periphery of the iris um, yep. and, and well, they'll older. say, oh, you know, you might have trouble with cholesterol or too much salt or whatever. So there's a little bit of stuff. Also, like you'll see kind of um, in the retina when they're, and you can see this when you photograph the eyes or look in the eyes also, and you start to see this kind of aurora borealis kind of hue in the back of the retina. That is someone who has too much cooked fat that's Hmm. clogged the the gallbladder, but they they start to attribute this to diabetes. Uh, There was a research um, study recently that found that it's really a lot of the cooked fat because you, the body can't digest cooked fat. Cooked fat is very toxic, but raw fat is necessary and very healing. Um, but the cooked fat would just clog up in the duct of the gallbladder. 
And that duct is right across from the duct for the pancreas. So it was really like right below the stomach is the pyloric valve. Then you go into the duodenum, which is kind of the beginning of the small intestines. And that area was just getting clogged up with this cooked fat. And so then the the pancreas just couldn't squirt out the enzymes because it just had stuff clogging the duct. That's all it was. Well, what, what you're saying is spot on because like I was dealing with dementia with a member of my family who's very elderly at this point, and it's almost totally reversed. And so Clive DeCarl's kind of fulvic acids, which wasn't the direct link, the direct link was the iodine. But part of it, I think it was Clive, someone told me, if you took a human brain and you totally desiccated it, got all the water out, the weight left would be fats. And so they're attributing the idea of dementia to less fats. Well, one of the things I did is I started getting uh, pure coconut butter which by the way, you don't want to cook with coconut butter. It doesn't work that way. And I would dissolve it into tea or if they insisted on drinking coffee. And I think between the iodine and the increased kind of raw fats like that, that's the other thing. You don't want the liquid to be too hot, hot enough to melt it, but not hot enough to cook it. So you should be able to comfortably put your finger in it was my measure. If it was too uncomfortable for my finger, then I figured I was cooking the fat a little bit and I didn't want to do that. But at this point, I think I have reversed dementia as much as I can, but we all know, we all know that the aluminum is related to this, which was going to bring me to my next question. Can you detect heavy metal poisoning in iridology? Can you detect if someone's taken a, really? You, You can. So I went to see an iridologist in California And when he looked in my eyes, he says, your stomach is full of heavy iron. Anyway, it took me years to finally clear a lot of that heavy metal out of my body. I still have some residue there. It's because I, when I was really young, like let's say age two to four, I grew up in a gold mining town where they use cyanide to remove the gold from the iron ore. And there was just all this free radical iron in the tap water. And back in the fifties, right, we're just drinking tap water. And you can see me as a baby with blue eyes. And then you see me at age two and three and I've got the brown eyes. So your eyes went from blue to your eyes went from blue to brown. Yeah. But you, and some people reverse them. I mean, I know Ogenist reversed his eye color back to blue. It took him eight years of being on an all raw diet, but yeah, the eyes can really radically change color, but you need the fat to adsorb the heavy metals. And the coconut cream is such a miracle. There's a place when I lived in LA, uh, in Beverly Hills, they, not Beverly Hills, but on Beverly Boulevard, what was it called? The Beverly Hills Juice Company, I think. And two times a week, they made fresh, raw coconut cream. Just amazing. I mean, coconut is so high in organic sodium. Just drinking coconut water is just totally nourishing because yeah. we're sodium animals. Um, I'll put information about organic sodium on my blog too, because there's a lot of beverages high in organic sodium, but that coconut cream, I made fresh raw ice cream. So raw cream, raw coconut cream, raw milk, raw egg, unheated honey. So, and a little bit of like unroasted carob powder. I made that ice cream every day and I had a gallon of raw ice cream every day for about two months. I put on about 70 pounds. Yeah. And people were freaking out like, oh my God, your fat index and blah, blah, blah. And I was also drinking green juice. So like it was like celery, cucumber, parsley juice with lemon and stuff like that. Anyway, what happened was finally my whole lymphatic system popped 
I just was covered in the red rashes. I even had weird lumps swollen on my forehead. So for three days, I just looked like beet red. And I, I went to this kind of hot spring place where you sit in these ponds full of red clay and mud. And my boyfriend and I, we just had the red clay all over our body. And it was just like pulling all that stuff out. So it took about a year of putting clay on my body every day. Cause like, you know, the meridians in the body. So one day I'd have the rash down the side of my body, then inside my legs, you know, then in the front, then in the back, like it would switch as my body kept detoxifying. So what people don't realize is the nervous system is forcing a detoxification when it has enough nutrition. But yeah, I just ended up getting big hunks of clay from the art supply store, put it in a five gallon bucket with water to keep it moist. I would put the clay on my skin, lay down and sleep, wake up and take a bath with like raw apple cider vinegar in the water. Cause you don't want when, when the clay hardens on your skin, you don't want to peel it off. You'll hurt your skin. So you kind of have to soften it again, but yeah, skin brushing and bathing, it helps us to pull stuff out that is hard, hard to get out just doing the the seven day cleanse alone. And well, we pe- people to- do the clay internally too, right? What's it called? Ben, bentonite. Is that right? Yeah. And I would say that, okay. Um, Sony's number seven is the liquid bentonite clay created by Victor Earl irons. And his story is amazing. I put a link at the bottom of my health link. Hold your, hold your thought, Deborah. I got to cut us here so we can come in under an hour and run everywhere, but I've got to wrap up. I let us go a little too far. Quickly give people your contact website again, please. Okay. Wisdom in the eyes.com. All right. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the episode here because I went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but you know, one, one amazing thing is, you know, you go to the, to the eye doctor, the, the optometrist, you know, there's got to be people who have like that dark, line from being toxic. And then maybe some of them would detox. They come back later, that'd be gone. Those people have to notice. So I'm, I'm wondering how that gets dealt with, but that is the first hour of episode 262 with Jason Lindgren and Deborah Carroll covering iridology or what the window to the soul, the iris can show about the health of a human being. Join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. It's the only true crow site. On the other side, we can speak more freely. And believe me, I'm bringing up the damn mask thing. You you know I'm (laughs) going to because Covidius Minimus is reaping spiritual and healthful havoc on people. But there it is. Join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. Come.